Welcome to How Art is Born, a podcast from the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver about the origins of artists and their creative and artistic practices. I'm your host, R. Alan Brooks, artist, writer, and professor. Today, I'm joined by Mexico City-based writer, Diego Gerard Morrison, and artist, Lucia Hinojosa. Say hello. 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 <laughs> All right, so uh, just to start us off, uh, you know, I mentioned that a little bit of what you do, but can you say a little bit about who you are and, and what kind of art you do? Um, well, I am uh, Lucia, and I am an artist and experimental poet from Mexico City. I work uh, with interdisciplinary practices, very much mixed and, and fluid. Um, I work with, with sound, with drawing, with um, concrete poetry, um, installation, many things. And I also love to write. And I question every day what writing is and how can writing be expanded, you know, like a sort of poetry. Uh, so, sort of like a poetic um, exploration that, mm. you know, expands boundaries. Um, and I also edit the experimental journal Disonare, which is a bilingual journal, journal with Diego Gerard. And we've been doing that for many years. Nice. All right, Diego. I'm Diego Gerard Morrison. I'm a writer, editor, and translator based, based in Mexico City. Okay, so you guys both uh, do a lot of work with words. And um, Lucia, you were talking about sort of um, what it means to sort of try to stretch the boundaries of what words can accomplish. That's a really fascinating thing to me. Um, some years ago, I was reading a C.S. Lewis book where he was talking about uh, the limitations of language to fully convey an experience, you know, like the difference between writing about skiing versus actually skiing. And I wonder if in your approach of using uh, mixed media, like multidisciplinary uh, practices, is that you trying to bridge that gap? Is that you trying to find new dimensions to communicating some kind of idea? Um, yeah, well, I, I, I like to think about um, language in the body, you know, not, not so much in the mind, huh. but in both places. And um, I like to really think that we are creatures of language, you know, that's, mm. that's the great thing that we share, um, you know, in, in consciousness. So um, since you wake up in the day, you are... Um, in, in some sort of way, you are experimenting language, you know, even if you're silent. So, um, yeah. so I really try to, to question, um, you know, semiotics and semantics and sort of this, uh, the, the meaning of meaning kind of, and I think language is really um, the vehicle for that. Um, so I don't know if bridging, but definitely diluting, you know, diluting mm. like one, uh, one boundary with another. Um, so it, it's kind of utopic sometimes, um, but I really, really question and, and feel that um, 
we can we can have different approaches towards language and sometimes um, I kind of have this uh, way of explaining or metaphor about leaking you know like uh, mm. we're sort of leaking language um, you know we are because because language is is in the in the boundaries and in the limits and in the relation between even non-human things mm. um, but we are sort of embodying that and 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 language is being like leaked but it's also being coming towards you um, in a way I don't know if this is too yeah no this is good because I was thinking about um, how when it's face-to-face -face communication with someone um, the communication exists largely in like context or things that are implied, um, inflection, how we use our voices, our facial expressions, body language, all those kind of things. But when we are writing something, if we're trying to communicate something, if we're trying to create an experience, uh, the words often largely have to stand on their own. So it's interesting to hear you talk about bringing in different means of communication and how all that stands for you. So, uh, Diego, when you are doing your work, do these themes come into play? And then also I want to know, like, since you're both doing the, this magazine and working together from time to time on certain things, how this sort of, uh, I'm going to say chemistry of communication, <laughs> how it kind of fits in. Right. Um, I would say that uh, I think we arrive mostly at the same place when we work with language, both Lucia and I. Mm. I do think we do arrive to that place through different different means and different routes, if you will. Mm -hmm. I think language is the great mediator. You know, we're constantly mediating language and mediating experience through language as well. So as a novelist, um, I take care first and foremost of experience. So I try to use language to experience the senses, the sensory experience of being in the world. So I think in the end, we do come to a certain place which is similar, but I do it more through an analytical place, you know, and, and come to that through knowing that language is an abstraction and I'm, I'm mediating experience through, through abstraction, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've talked with a lot of different artists over the years. Um, and for some artists, it's important to communicate some specific message. For others, it's uh, just important to sort of let the art be what it is or let the art be an escape. And then other people, you know, do a little bit of both. And so I wonder for both of you, since we're talking about the effectiveness of language to communicate, is there usually a specific message that both of you are trying to communicate, or is it just about sort of the exploration of what language can do? Well, That's right, I come with the good questions. <laughs> Go ahead. It's funny, but I'm, I'm not that interested in being um, effective, you know. Mm. Um, for instance, I'm, I'm quite interested in, in disruption or mm. in, you know, I have a, a, a aunt, who had Down syndrome, uh, recently passed away, but mm. she had a stuttering 
um, difficulty. And I loved how um, language got so refreshed, you know, in this in this stutter, huh. and uh, how how there were other means of communication that naturally happened um, through this impossibility, you know, of 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 uh, effective communication. So um, I really try to be open to. Um, you know, breaks and crevices and, uh, and, and holes and, and, and things that are not, um, you know, not perfect or not um, optima, optimal. Um, so I'm, I'm more of, a, of an investigator or of an observer of, um, of, of where are these things located and what they can do and how they can you know, teach us, like the, the, the work can be, instead of me creating the work, the work happens in a way by relation and will teach me something, you know, mm. that I wasn't aware of. So, um, so yeah, I think um, my approach to, to language has to do with those sort of um, relationality aspects um, and with, you know, intervals and silences and, uh, translations as well, mm-hmm. uh, written and spoken language. So, um, it's not, it's not very much about the narrative, you know, okay. and Diego is, I think, uh, is very much about telling the story of that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, this question about precision fascinates me. You know, I am obsessed with precision in language. Mm-hmm. But I often think that the most stunning images come through uh, mapping together images that are not precise. In other words, um, normally the, the most interesting I- images in writing come as metaphors of uniting two things that don't really go well together, you know? Mm-hmm. And that can be understood as a rupture in language as well. So I think precision and rupture are not necessarily things that antagonize each other. You know, hmm. I have a, a, an obsession of looking for writers whose work I know is good, but I can't really figure out why. And uh-huh. I think it's often because of how jarring the images are together, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I, I do think precision in language can can come from a place you don't really anticipate at times. This is interesting. Yeah. Like, uh, it's sort of beautiful to hear, um, Lucia, you know, you going for disruption and Diego, you going for precision. Um, but being able to see the relationship between them both, um, and that they're not necessarily opposed. I wonder, uh, as, uh, you both know at least, at least two languages. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, so do you find, because it seems like uh, the subtleties of uh, different languages might allow for a different degree of disruption or precision. Do you find that bringing in uh, different languages as you're writing something uh, becomes sort of a useful tool in either of these goals? Yeah, it definitely becomes um, like, a very fertile sort of um, nourishing um, 
and very like malleable and flexible thing of you know what things are you know like mm -hmm. like there's like a double veil of of meaning and uh you can sort of use um it's it's completely a different voice when um when i write poetry in english i really like it because i i'm more aware of the construction of the word because hmm. actually i learned language I, I learned english like very well when i was older you know okay in my in my 20s um so I, I, I kind of, it, it's a different form of approaching language because you can sort of dissect more, um, you know, like the word rotate and the, and the word rot and mm. how like rot is inside rotating, you know, and yeah. like what, what, what that could mean or what that does. Huh. And when you're, when you're born with your mother tongue, with your language, it's it's even more embodied so you have less distance to sort of see the little the little things that are inside of words hmm. um and uh so I, I i love using both and reading in both languages writing in both languages but um you know it's like having two two chairs and which chair do you want to sit in today yeah so, um huh. Yeah, I think that that expands way more. Um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's like having more options to to create in your own mind. You know. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah, that's dope. Yeah, I would like to think of uh, languages in terms of knowing more than one language. It's a vantage point. You know, it's a way to to access the the other language from a point of view that you wouldn't have. So um, to, to, to give an example, I think Spanish is a very nuanced language as opposed to the precision of English. Hmm. Spanish can be much more complex, and that is not to say that it's a better language or a worse language. Right. It's a different way of understanding words and learning to you know make them play together is a very interesting thing as well because you can find little crevices and nooks hmm. that tend to go unexplored at times. MCA Denver at the Holiday Theater is a hub for the arts located in this historic 400-seat theater. We aim to realize one-of-a-kind creative experiences for audiences that spark curiosity, challenge conventions, inspire, and delight. Visit mcadenver.org to learn more about the robust schedule of museum-driven and collaborative programming. This is really interesting. It's, it's uh, sort of beautiful to, to hear um, well, in some ways, to hear what English looks like from the outside, and uh, you know the kind of subtleties that you're finding as you go back and forth between these two languages. I want to uh, go back a little, um, like, so Diego, for you, how did this this pursuit of language begin? What got you into writing to begin with? So um, I had the privilege with, I mean, it might be a privilege and a curse at the same time of growing up in a bilingual home, okay. like straight down the middle. So hmm. my mother spoke English to us because she was American and my dad is Mexican. So he spoke in Spanish most of the time. 
So I had a, like an early incline to read and write in both languages. Um, but I wouldn't say I was into language as I am today until maybe my late teens or something, just in school, developing a skill, you know, and it was my, my parents also lived very remotely when I was young. So they, in, they passed on to me a very, um, maybe unhealthy reading habit. <laughs> so, uh, so I think I took it from there. Uh, yeah. Reading literature was always in my life. So I think it was a very um, easy thing to, 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 to go into later in life. Well, so what did it, what did it mean for you when you were reading? Like what chord did it strike? You know, like how did it, why did you keep doing it? Yeah, this is going to sound very purist, but I think uh, reading fiction mostly, because it's what I mostly read and mostly mm -hmm. read today, it gave me a tool to understand life as it was happening outside, you know, outside my body, in my body. So mm -hmm. it gave me a tool to understand feelings, emotions, abstractions and ideas as well. So wow. that's why it's, it's clung to me. Yeah. Okay, and then Lucia, how about you? How did how did you sort of uh, start on your path to pursuing words? Um, well, I think uh, my my grandmother was a big influence. Uh, she adored poetry. She uh, she sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're being censored. <laughs> the, the street it's raining. There's traffic. Anyway. Right on. Um, but yeah, my my grandmother uh, loved poetry. She always said, you know, poetry saved me. Um, she she had a, a, a she struggled, so um, she saw since I was young that I had that interest as well. So she really really uh, pushed me and you know gave me books like uh, you know books that probably a. a, a seven eight-year-old girl wouldn't uh wouldn't read hmm. but i also um had you know like a little bit the fetish fet yeah fetish or you know the of the of the book since i was young because i i loved carrying my books and um, i loved also like the material aspect of the book and you know once i remember it fell into like a puddle and then you know it got all wet the book and then it got um dried and like the 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 waves that happened you know the way it dried um and the form like the sculptural aspect of the book and i think that sort of that drift um of the object and the meaning of things really stayed with me so i think that's you know this obsession of um, the, like the material aspect of words are, uh, is something that probably started since I was really, really young. Hmm. Um, and I, I always wrote in huge things, you know, I have a collection of notebooks since I was also really young, eight years old or something. So the notebook practice is really, um, I'm, I'm kind of addicted, you know, to if I don't have my notebook with me, I, I get really nervous. <laughs> um, so, actually, when I met Diego, mm -hmm. uh, 
is when I started reading novels. I didn't, huh. re I didn't really read novels before. I read um, poetry. So, um, well, yeah, that... it's been, yeah, it's been like a long interdiscipline sort of um, search. Um, huh. I, I started then with art and with film. So I wanted to be a filmmaker that I wanted to do. And, and slowly I've been, you know, putting all the, the aspects together and, and understanding what I want to pursue. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I was going to ask, uh, with you both being people who uh, place such a heavy emphasis on the power of language, uh, when you met, was that sort of central to how you guys connected? Uh, or, or was it something different? I think that was a big one. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's central as well. Yeah. Language always played a role, in, even in the way we communicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I, and, and I, I, when I met Diego, I was like, wow, he reads, like he comes from another world, you know, of uh, like the things he's reading and... Mm -hmm. Um, so I really didn't know, like I probably I had never in my life read a short story in English, you know, huh. and and he would show me like what he was writing or what he was reading. Um, and and yeah, it was something it, it really sort of balanced um, each other's interests. Hmm. OK, so. Um... You both talked about what was important to you um, that, that made you love language and love writing. Uh, when you began your own practices creatively, were you trying to, were you trying to recreate the thing that you loved or were you immediately sort of forging your own path? And this is for both of you. I think there is always an urge as a young writer to try to imitate and, mm. and I guess it's like a magnetic pull, uh, pull because you want to write exactly like your literary idols you know and, right uh, and it's really hard to understand how 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 the need is there to find your voice you know and, and the steps you need to take to really find your voice um, and I have to say it's a painful path you mm. know um, <laughs> you have to experiment, you have to put yourself out there, you know, you have to grow a thick skin in terms of criticism. Yeah. Um, but that's the most important thing, knowing to, knowing how to detach from what you love in the words of others and really trying to, you know, be neck deep in your own way of thinking, in your own way of conveying language, you know, all mm. that. Um, for me, I think the medium has changed a lot. Um, mm. But I was actually thinking the other day that um, perhaps each artist is born with questions mm. and you're always pursuing that question or those questions, you know, that are sort of the principles of your life, of your you know, existential sort of um, um, what's it travel, mm -hmm. uh, and those questions keep growing. 
And I think like the good artists or the artists and writers I really admire is the ones that keep their questions alive. You know, mm. don't respond. Don't don't think that you can respond them, but expand that question into more questions, probably, you know, and yeah. like pro or, or mature the question. The question is maturing. The question is growing. The question is evolving. And it doesn't really matter um, the medium mm. that you are exploring that question, but the, you know, the, the exquisiteness of, of that. Um, it's like a seed that you're sort of born with. Um, right. And and when I look back to my notebooks when I was a, a teenager, of course the the voice has changed a lot, but but the essential things are still are still there, you know. And um, and hmm. and I've I've just figured out um, I was I, I had this this thought when I saw um, the exhibition of Etel Adnan, the 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 poet and the painter mm. in um we, we were actually last year at the guggenheim and okay. she died during the show <laughs> wow. um, so and and it was wonderful to know that she had passed away and we were mm. seeing that show and we were looking at her retrospective and i i had that feeling of you know i think we're born with the same questions mm. Each artist. Yeah. Ah. I would also add, uh, in terms of your question about imitating or trying to, um, you know, mirror your work in, in somebody else's. I think with my work, I'm very drawn to appropriation. Mm. And as you were asking me, I was realizing maybe uh, my urge to go inappropriate has to do with, you know, not being able to let go of my fanatism of some writers, you know, and mm. trying to perpetuate their work over and over again, which is, which is sometimes necessary in culture, I think. Hi, this is Valerie Cassell Oliver, curator of the exhibition, The Dirty South, Contemporary Art, Material Culture, and the Sonic Impulse. Occupying three floors at MCA Denver, the Dirty South makes visible the roots of Southern hip-hop culture and reveals how the aesthetic traditions of the African-American South have shaped the visual art and musical expression over the last 100 years. This exhibition features an intergenerational group of artists working in a variety of genres, from sculpture to painting and drawing to photography and film, as well as sound pieces and large-scale installation works. Head over to mcadenver.org visit and use the code TDS20. That's TDS20 for a 20% discount on general admission for this exhibition, which is on view until February 5th, 2023. I think so many artists of different disciplines are trying to you know, we're all trying to like find our way through like what what inspires us, but what is also true our truest voice, I guess. Diego, you mentioned um, having ways to deal with criticism, um, having a, a thick skin, and that sort of brings me to a question that I I tend to try to ask everyone, and that this is about creative fear, like when you're having when you're creating art. First of all. 
what kind of fear do you feel? And then secondly, for either of you, how do you find your way through that fear to keep creating? I try to uh, save all my fear for writing. Um, hmm. Writing in itself, it, it, it fills me with fear just because as I produce, I, I, I fear the quality of it. You know, I fear, mm -hmm. I fear for it to be read by someone else. Uh, but it, I mean, it's also the thing that nurtures my writing, you know, it, it's the impulse to get better is the impulse to make sure that what I'm putting out is the best I can possibly do. And so I, I, I tried to save my fear for the writing desk, you know, it's like cooking, you know, when you, when you, when you learn how to cook, um, it's, it's sort of finding the right balance of things. Sometimes I'm too visceral. Sometimes, you know, I'm too mental, too conceptual. Mm. So like, how do you put everything in balance, um, for it to be, you know, like a thing to, mm. that, that breathes by itself you know, that is there. And also, I think a, a big fear is knowing how to let go, let mm. go, let go of your work. It's there, it's alive, you know, like, and sort of accept your, accept your energy, your essence, mm. accept that you are like this. And, um, you know, don't try to like, over explain or put you know this it's there it is what it is you know um so sort of that fear and also um i was gonna say well the the classic i think fear we many artists have is how will the work be read you know will it right. be read as i am reading it as i am perceiving it how will it be and and that's also thrilling. It's not a it's not only a fear. It's also a a, um, a good curiosity, because sometimes it gets read in some ways that you never saw, and then you're like, oh wow, you know, you're, you're reading it this way, and I hadn't seen it that way. So so it's a good fear, um, and also I really really adore and enjoy working. Like I could work all day, every day, like I, um, but the fear element and the insecurities can take away so much of, uh, of that pleasure. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, trusting slowly, trusting, trusting, but also being really open to, to critique mm. and, uh, and, you know, accepting some things and, um, but also <laughs> sometimes just saying um, if you're not, if you don't agree with a critique, right. you have to defend. You have to also learn how to defend your work, how to defend your vision. Hmm. Um, so well, I don't know, it's a lot. Well, no, I think what you're articulating is that it is really an interesting balance to strike, right? Because in order to be an artist, there is some degree of vulnerability that's required um, because we have to be able to take in the world around us in a compassionate and insightful way. We also have to uh, sort of pay attention to how we're communicating these sort of subtleties of humanity 
or our experience in the world. But we also uh, have to not be completely vulnerable to uh, people who want to destroy us, you know, <laughs> who uh, yeah. want to tear down our vision. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just an interesting balance to try to attain. Um, but all of that that you said is useful because I, I think ultimately the goal is to not be paralyzed by these fears and the pursuit of this kind of balance. I think fear is a fantastic creative force. You know, if, hmm. we, if we follow Kurt Vonnegut's logic about fiction, you know, you really have to be mean to your characters, you know, you have to instill fear in them. Hmm. And instilling fear in them will make you take them to a redeeming place, you know, so you have to force yourself as an artist, writer, whatever it may be in the same way. Hmm. I love that. Now, in my own uh, writing, um, I've often said that art at its highest is a way to take something that's intangible and make it into a tangible thing, something we can wrestle with. Uh, it's some feeling, some experience, some subtlety of our existence that art is able to capture and suddenly we have a, a way of coping with it. I wonder, since you both come to the use of language and art from different perspectives, I would like to hear what, what your thoughts are about that. Like, is it about capturing something intangible or is it something different for you? In my case, I would say that it's capturing many tangible things all the time. As a huh. fiction writer, I want to make you feel things in your skin, you know, listen to them smell them. So I, I do believe the tangible is a sort of a end point, end run in, in fiction, you know, maybe mm -hmm. as opposed to other mediums of which I know nothing about, you know, but I think, <laughs> I think with fiction, um, you have to make the, the experience tangible. So you have to go from the intangible to the tangible, from the invisible to, to, to feeling, you know, so. Yeah. So yes, I don't know if that answers your question at all, but I think uh, you know, evoking feelings is, is what I'm after. Yeah, um, it's interesting how we're always like in, in the duality of you know material, immaterial, tangible, intangible. Um, sometimes I, I would say that I'm really interested in um, in bringing the intangible out of the tangible, you know, hmm. sort of hmm. the opposite of, because um, the tangible we some sometimes think it's a given, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, there's many intangible things to the to the tangible, <laughs> like uh, like for instance, um, just one word, any word. Imagine how old is that word, and hmm. and and. and that word that you know, you know, you say the word, and probably the sound of the word is intangible. But there's um, there's a and I'm going you know on the other side, but there's a tangibility and there's a there's a an actuality to the word that is so interesting. You know, like how many cultures has it crossed? Mm. How many accidents has it been um, adaptive? To, to and um, you know all the the history of things um, is very tangible in the intangible 
So um, I don't know. I I um, I think I I I try to to bring um, sometimes like essence or auras of things. Um, that's why also I'm very interested in in time and uh, in the materiality of time in in language. Language is so tangible, though. No? <laughs> Words are so tangible. Yeah. You think of the word dirt, and you can almost feel it in your fingers sometimes. Huh. <laughs> and it's also an abstraction. I mean. Right. Yeah, like uh, if people are describing music, and they want it to be a little rugged, they'll be like, "Let's put a little dirt on that." <laughs> right. And, and it's something becomes more abstract. That's right. really interesting. Uh, okay, so I know you, you both work on things individually and together. I'm interested in, uh, since we've heard so much about how you both approach language, what it's like when you're collaborating on creative projects together. Like, how does it go? What's the experience like? The experience can be gruesome for sure. Um, <laughs> since I've seen we, we, we really approach what we do from different vantage points and different scopes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one project we work on together and we and have been for the past 10 years or so is a, a publication a editorial platform at the, the, that I think has been nurtured by those two viewpoints coming into collision. You know, mm. I would have never done a publication that is so, uh, I would describe it as brave. You know, and really going after things that are unfinished, that are really experimental. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever had done a journal in the first place. That was huh. the idea. <laughs> oh wow! Um, but I'm guessing my version of it, if I had done it alone, would be a very boring and calculated thing. <laughs> no. She brings the chaos, and I. I had, you know, the, the very bureaucratic idea of a, of a publication. Not, not bureaucratic at all. I, I would say that your approach is more, um, you know, translations, um, short stories, fiction. But Diego is like has such a good eye for um, for fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one time a friend of ours was reading out loud. Um, uh, a short story by a Mexican writer co- called Daniel Sada, mm-hmm. who is super um, experimental. And he was reading out loud, and then he stopped reading and he said, Who understood that? And Diego was like, Oh, he's saying that he's arriving to the market and the fruits are smelling this way and this, that. And no one else had understood that. Right. So, um, so Diego has like a, you know, the penetrating eye of, of the fiction writer. And I, I come more from um, like a sound perspective, a, 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 po- a poetry or a, like an interdiscipline and unfinished or shattering genres project. So hmm. I would say uh, we, we set out in the beginning to maybe do a very conventional sort of publication, you know, having fiction, poetry and nonfiction in every issue and then it has become this sort of evolving, crazy project uh, with mm. unfinished pieces, pieces that maybe nobody understands, but the artists themselves and us, you know. <laughs> uh, 
they're kind of like hidden messages. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think some people do understand. <laughs> well, if you guys have been doing it for 10 years, there's some people to understand, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to ask uh, what, what, what's coming next? Like, where are you both headed creatively? What new projects do you have coming up? So I, um, we're having a new issue of this publication coming out soon. We are exploring the idea of a psychogeography hmm. in its very uh, odd ways. Um, I'm trying to pursue a novel telling this uh, family stories about my parents in the 70s and 80s. Um, hmm. But it, you know, it, it's at the point where you have to really struggle to get a scene through. So. Uh, Right. Nothing more than a work in progress at this point. Hmm. We also have the um, the pursuit of, of writing a novel together. together yeah. Oh, actually. nice. Uh -huh. That uh, it will be the story of obviously all fictionalized, but um, the Sonare, our journal, is like a character. Mm -hmm. And is you know, if the sonare, if the journal, if the project would be a, a person, who would it be? Where would it come from? You know, what year? Um, is it is, is the person living in Mexico or in New York or in both or traveling? And um, and a lot of our experiences with um, with writers and with artists, with meeting people, with traveling. So that's that's hopefully something we'll do. You know, in the next four years or something. <laughs> I feel like you guys have been training for this moment for the last 10 years with the back, that journal. And <laughs> now you're doing like the real intense thing. You're like collaborating on a novel. Like that's, that's, that's real. <laughs> I would say that the, the publication project we have has really given us a very interesting social life. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been worth it just on that side, I think. Huh? Yeah. Like, okay. I so expect it. Sorry. And we never expected that. Um, I don't know that 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 magazine will, would bring us something when we were like you know very young and naive yeah. and started the project. That's really cool. Yeah, you know, once uh, um, we were told that uh, publications are first, are first of all social creatures, mm -hmm. but they are at, at the same time a you know a self portrait of hmm. who makes them. You know. So, that, that that's all proven to be true to some extent, I think. Yeah. Huh. I, I know from uh, writing stories and having comic book artists draw it, uh, the most exhausting part of it is chasing down artists to get things. To for, get things done, yeah. Yeah, for the thing that they say that they want to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, really so a, labor, I, a labor of love. Yeah, so I admire you guys for being able to do that. It's so hard to get them to write a short bio of themselves. <laughs> right. I did a, a I, I, I rap sometimes, and I did a mixtape about 10 years ago, and I had like uh, maybe 15 different rappers on it. And I was like, this will be easy. I'm going to make all the beats. All they have to do is show up and rap. I thought it was going to take like two months. It took like a year and a half. Yeah. I was like, I don't understand. Like you're rappers, you don't have to do vocal arrangements. All you got to do is show up to the studio and rap. I sent you to beat ahead of time, but they'll show up and be like trying to write in the moment. Or like, it was a whole thing, man. It, I was like, I don't even understand. 
But I think uh, part of that is that the fear that we discussed earlier, you know, it makes people, um, I think it just like it paralyzes them, you know, yeah. and makes them throw obstructions in the way of even things that they're looking forward to themselves. Um, okay, so if in, anyone wants to look up either of your work, where should they go online? They can go to my website, uh, diegogerardmorrison.com. Um, our publication and editorial platform is disonare.com. So D-I-S-O-N-A-R-E.com. And my website is luciainojosa.com. Luciainojosa.com. I heard the punto. All right. <laughs> okay, so uh, my final question is, uh, what is a pleasure for you guys? What, what's inspiring you? Television, movie, books, uh, whatever it is. Like, what, what's giving you sort of new creative life these days? I try to read every morning with my cup of coffee. You know, hmm. I try to vary it a lot but i'm sticking to mostly novels i'm very into mexican novels of the era of the revolution here huh so okay. everything that spans 1910 to 1940 i found i find very interesting nice <laughs> he's very funny he goes <laughs> like he goes to all these thrift stores and and like you know old bookstores in in the centro in mexico and like he's yeah. like I got this book, and it's like this book from the revolution of Mexico. And they were like, it's fascinating. You know, it like no one, no one has ever told the right story of the revolution. The story has never been told, you know, so it's, huh. and, it's and it's it's a time in Mexico uh, where everyone was writing a satire about it, you know, so you only read satires about the revolutions. Huh. I love that, and I'm, I, I, I admit to be obsessed with it at the moment <laughs> nice yeah. um, and i uh i also read every morning i um i wake up very excited to to sit down and read but i meditate as well every day i do vipassana meditation and i i love it it really really brings you know the a good start of the day um and i also like playing guitar and huh. you know, with my looping sort of loops station and um, yeah, I love being home and working here. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, listen, I got to say, uh, I've really enjoyed talking to you both. It, it was a nourishing conversation. I feel creatively nourished. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, Alan, for this time. You're a great host. A great host. <laughs> Thanks. Special thank you to today's guests, Diego and Lucia. Thank you to our listeners. Please be sure to subscribe to How Art is Born wherever you get your podcast for more episodes. If you can, leave a review. It really helps us out. Check out MCA Denver on YouTube and subscribe there too for behind-the-scenes clips from today's episode. Don't forget to visit MCA Denver's current exhibition, The Dirty South, on view now.